Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Johnny Drip, back with another episode of Views from the John. Today is Monday, October 7th, 2019. How are ya? Finally able to do that. Johnny Boy actually hooked up a real microphone. And, uh, yeah, a little bit better than the uh, piece of shit I was using before. Uh, this microphone is so crazy, right? Right, so I got the microphone about a foot from me, and I'm speaking pretty, uh, you know, normally. But uh, it's nuts how much this microphone picks up. Literally, I had my window open about five feet behind me before I started recording this. And I was hearing a humming, and I'm like, what the fuck is that humming? Literally, some dude like a half mile from me was mowing his lawn. That's the hum that this microphone was picking up, so... uh it's pretty unbelievable when you uh, stop using a Kmart, uh, you know, eighth inch, uh, you know, laziness microphone like I was doing. And then I actually hook up my actual real podcast setup. And yeah, the microphone is pretty nuts. I can literally hair. Uh, yeah, I can literally hear my hair growing. <laughs> uh, I can hear a hum from the uh, from the refrigerator I didn't know existed. Uh, I'm hearing sounds in my house I didn't know existed. It's like this microphone is picking up sounds from another dimension or something. But uh, how are you? Did you have a good weekend? Did you watch any football? I did. I got a little... uh, Party a little bit too hard Saturday night. And uh, paid for it Sunday. Uh, Didn't get to watch my Patriots, but I got to see some highlights. 4-0, 4-0, baby. They 4-0 or are they 5-0 now? That was week what? 4 or 5? I'm not... 4-0, right? Week 4. 4-0. Against the Redskins. Didn't look too good, I guess, from the highlights, huh? It was only like a 2-point game or a 1-point game or something like that at the half. And the Patriots just ran away with it. How about that defense, though, huh? And I've explained this before. I apologize. I was born and raised just outside of Boston. It's in our blood. You know, if you were born and raised in Seattle as a sports fan, you probably love the Mariners, right? And the Seahawks. I get it. You're born in New York. You love the Yankees. Or maybe you love the Mets, right? Sorry. I was born and raised in uh, western Massachusetts, just a stone's throw from Boston. And, uh, yeah, grew up loving Boston sports. Just, that's how we are. We are fanatical about our sports teams. And uh, I don't care how many times the Patriots have won it. I really don't care. Uh, what I'm most impressed with this year is our defense. How good is that defense? You know? I know you guys all think we're cheaters and Tom Brady and this, that, and the other thing. Everybody loves to hate the uh, successful people, right? But, I mean, come on. Give credit where credit is due. If you're a Boston sports fan, right, you are just raised to dislike the Yankees, right? But I got to tell you, as I've aged, I... I, I I no longer just hate the Yankees because they're the Yankees. And maybe that's because of, uh, you know, what we did to them back in 2004. You know, American League Championship Series. Boston's down no games to three. And we win four friggin' straight and go on to win our first World Series since 1918. You know how many... You know how many tough Boston guys that night or people around New England that have probably never cried in their life cried? Literally, 
we all cried that night that the Red Sox won their first World Series back in 04 compared to uh, 1918. It was such a frustrating long run. And we went through the same shit with the Patriots. Does anybody remember how bad the Patriots were up until about 2001? They were horrible. We were the laughing stock. 0-16 seasons, you know, 2-16 seasons. Back in the day, right? They only went to the Super Bowl once. At least, a, you know, in my lifetime. And that was 86 when we got our ass handed, us, uh, handed to us uh, by the Bears, right? That was it. That was our claim to fame, you know? And then, ever since Belichick and Brady came to town, man, it's just, it's been nuts. So, you know, quit the outrage and the shit talk. I hate the Patriots, blah, blah, blah. Dude, if it was your team, wouldn't you get it, you know? I don't think anyone is a Patriots fan is, you know, now saying, I hate the Patriots because everyone's jumped on the bandwagon. Man, if you're born in the city where your team is being successful, give us a break. We're loving it. Wouldn't you? So shut the fuck up. Brady's the goat. Deal with it. Look at the stats. Okay, I'm not going to argue up how good Tom Brady is. I just watch people like, you know, Max Kellerman on ESPN, who has got to be the biggest Brady and Patriots hater ever. Don't you have to be kind of unbiased to be a sports guy? I mean, I know sports guys are just human beings. And they have opinions, you know. Every sports guy comes from his hometown, I'm sure, you know. I don't know where Max Kellerman's from. But the guy is obviously not from New England. The guy just outright just talks the most craziest shit about the Patriots. And Tom Brady, and half the, I mean, the majority of the time, the reason he's so upset with one aspect or another is just the most asinine thing. The guy just, I swear to God, he just hates on the Patriots and Tom Brady just because the guy is just genuinely somehow jealous. Like, you know, maybe he really wanted to sleep with Brady, right? And he just found out that just Brady just, you know, just doesn't roll that way. And now just Max is just really, he's really upset, you know, because he just knows he just, he just can't kiss him. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think Max Kellerman, you literally have a crush on Brady, and that's why you're just so uptight about the guy. When, just give in. Just give in to it, Max, all right? The guy's the GOAT. The Patriots are great. I'm sure we'll suck once again, you know? It's bound to happen. It's like a roller coaster with Boston teams, right? Celtics, amazing throughout the 70s and 80s, dropped off, came back in, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, up and down. You know, Red Sox this year... Won the World Series last year. This year, didn't even make the playoffs. Everybody knew they needed fucking pitching, especially in the bullpen. Their offense was unreal this year. Mookie Betts, J.D. Look at J.D. Drew. Look at the season that Devers had. Devers, I think, was one of the biggest all-time snubs in a while. Rafael Devers. Look at the year he put up. What did he fit it? The guy finished with like a... I, I don't know. I don't have his stats in front of me, but I literally drafted the guy to my fantasy team. He's obviously a Boston player, so I know the guys. I know the team. And just Devers, just awesome, awesome third baseman. And the offensive year he had this year, I mean, he's a legit MVP candidate, Rafael Devers. So the Red Sox had the offense. Everybody knew it, all right? But the pitching was an issue going in, and they did nothing about it. And who did they add at the trade deadline? 
a pitcher, right? A pitcher that I literally can't even think of his freaking name off the top of my head. Who the hell did they add just before the trade deadline? He was doing okay for Baltimore, uh, the Orioles, and then he came over to the Red Sox and didn't it, it? It did nothing. What the hell was his name? He's been a pitcher for like fifteen years too. I have no idea who the guy's name is. I I can't look at the contract that we gave Nathan Avaldi, right? He was having a sick year last year, you know, early on, in, you know, in the year for the Rays. We gave him a $60 million contract. He comes over, doesn't do much for us, gets hurt, comes back this year, and is just getting lit up, you know? Uh, Chris Sale, first ballot Hall of Fame pitcher. Uh, he ended up writing the ship, but look at his record on the year before he got shut down for the year because he got hurt. I think he was like 5-12. and 12. That's Chris Sale, ex-multiple Cy Young winner. So even the Red Sox' most stable pitchers that we didn't think we'd have a problem with this year became a problem and then we knew we didn't have the bullpen depth we didn't have the starting pitching depth and then uh you know chris sale underperformed this year rick porcello underperformed this year david price underperformed this year uh we didn't have a closer lost craig kimball you know so everybody knew it you know alex cora not the problem um, Red Sox offense, not the problem. I know the pitching staff didn't have a great year, but, you know, I'm sure they gave an A for effort, you know. But it's the GM who got let go, who I won't say his name. I don't care to. Uh, Theo Epstein was and is the best general manager in baseball. Theo Epstein is, you know, the general manager who is responsible for getting the Red Sox a World Series in 04. Okay, make no mistake about that. And then he was also responsible for the Cubs getting their first World Series, right? That's a general manager. That's, you know, Theo Epstein, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant baseball mind. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we need a general manager to come in here and kind of keep the talent that we have intact. Alex Cora, great manager, um, great baseball guy, you know, he, He's a player's manager. He gets the players because he was just so freshly a player in the league. I think he's got a good managing mind. I don't really have a problem with anything he's done um, as a manager so far with the Sox, but it was clear. Everybody knew it, even the most, you know, backseat fan, you know, the most armchair fan knew that the Red Sox needed pitching help before the season even began. And then sure enough, you know, look what happened. They ended up needing the help, didn't get it, everybody knew it, and even at the All-Star break, when they were still in the fight, you know, despite our lack of pitching, we were still in it, but they didn't add any pitching. I don't know why, I I truly don't, um, I'm sure a reporter must have asked it, but I was just, I don't know, I don't get it, a lot of things I don't get. So yeah, let's listen, you know, this is podcast number four. I'm completely new to podcasting. I have no idea how to be a podcaster. You know, I didn't read the book. Is there a book out there for podcasting or, or comedy, you know, stand up comedy talk shows and podcasting for dummies, you know, 101. I didn't take the course. I didn't go to school for it. So I literally have no effing clue what I'm doing on this podcast. I don't know what I'm doing in my stand up. And to be truthful with you, I've yet to actually 
go out on stage. I've been working on material. I was going to go out and do two sets last Wednesday, and uh, I'll be honest with you. I got some ill news that night I was supposed to go on, so I canceled. Just wasn't in the headspace, and uh, as I was kind of going through my routine and stuff, I realized that uh, I was not as prepared as I thought I was, and I realize it. I know the first couple of years I'm going to be doing open mics all around New England, Los Angeles, and all that stuff. I'm going to be eating shit. That's just what you do, and I've learned that. It doesn't matter what comedian that you like. Me, my two favorite comedians that are currently in it, top two, Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle. But I'm also a huge fan of uh, Burt Kreischer, Tom Segura, Joe Rogan, Nick DiPaolo. Christina P, Theo Vaughn, um, and the list goes on. Those are the guys that I'm into right now. Those are all the guys' podcasts that I'm following. Bobby Lee. I know Bobby Lee doesn't do a ton of stand-up, I don't think. At least I can't find it on YouTube. But I'm definitely into his podcast, Tiger Belly. Um, but yeah, you know, that's just it. I've been playing guitar for I don't know how many years. I can't count. Um... Never took a lesson. I think I'm pretty damn good at it. I think I can literally hold my own in a one-on-one -on -one guitar contest with anybody on the planet for rhythm guitar playing. I could hold my own with any guitar player on the planet. Never took a lesson. I just learned by ear, learned by playing the songs uh, by the by the bands that influenced me in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh... Alice in Chains, Tool, two of my absolute favorites, uh, Metallica. You know, I, I could go on and on and on. But, uh, you know, those, you know, when I first heard Alice in Chains, it changed my life. I wanted to play guitar. When I heard Lane Staley sing, I wanted to sing. That music just spoke to me. It still does. Um, music literally, I think, has saved my life. If I didn't, if I never got into music, I, I I don't know if I would be doing as well as I am today. Music to this day can make me cry. It can make me smile. It runs shivers down my spine. When I listen to a good song, it literally, not to sound corny, but it like goes through my soul. I think when other people listen to music, they just kind of hear it and go, hmm, I kind of like the way that sounds. But literally, when I listen to a song, I get fucking lost in it. It is, it is a, ex music is an experience to me. It's like spiritual. That's how much I'm into it. So I just can't stand when you got just ignorant people that really call themselves music fans, but they're not. Because when they listen to music, it's like it's just an audible experience to them. It's not emotional experience. It's not an emotional experience for them. It's not a spiritual experience for them. Uh, the music doesn't take them to a place where they can resonate with the song. It does for me, and that's why I'm able to respect so many different genres of music. I love country. I love classical. I love death metal. I love rock. I love pop. You know who I discovered over the weekend? Billie Eilish and her brother, Phineas. Um, I don't know how I wasn't aware of her, but she's literally like the biggest pop star on the planet right now. Crazy. She's 17 years old. She grew up in a musical family in Los Angeles. 
homeschooled. Uh, she's 17, her brother's 21. They grew up in a musical house surrounded by instruments and cool parents that were, you know, actors in the business in Los Angeles. And their two kids just grew up in their house with them, surrounded by music and instruments. And now these two, at 17 and 21 years old, as a brother-sister team, have been writing songs their whole life, started releasing the songs to YouTube, SoundCloud, and all that stuff three years ago. And now they're getting, what, 1 billion Spotify uh, streams, I think, a day or a month. Uh, she's got, what, 40 million YouTube followers? A trillion friggin' Instagram followers? It's nuts. Now... I'm not, I mean, I'm so happy for her level of fame. I really am. But even she's like, wow, you know, she's being pretty humble about it. But there are people that are legit going to her shows and like passing out like they used to do for the Beatles and stuff back when the Beatles came out. Like there are people that literally just pass out because they're in like the same building as she, as her. Now that's crazy. I don't get starstruck. I really don't. Because... It doesn't matter whether you're famous or you're rich or how popular popular you are around the world. When you wake up in the morning, your breath stinks, your shit stinks, okay? You you get zits, you have bad days. It doesn't matter if you're in love with Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, anybody. They are no better than you are because they have 50 million or 100 million in the bank and they can't walk out into a street without having a hundred paparazzi following them around, right? I mean, that's how crazy popular they are. But they're not any better than me. They're not any better than you. They just literally hit a lottery ticket that is tougher to hit than the actual lottery. To be to make it big in the entertainment business, whether you're writing for The Tonight Show, whether you're Jimmy Fallon, whether you're Bill Burr, it takes fucking 30 years of just blood, sweat, and tears. And it also takes hitting a lottery ticket that is literally tougher to hit than, than trying to play, you know, Powerball that's in, what, like 42 states? So there's like a billion people who play it. That's what it takes, people. Um, but for some people, like Justin Bieber, you know, he didn't... I think he pretty much just made it instantly, right? He was just doing... He was just bouncing around his room, right, on on YouTube. And the next thing you know, he's driving around Ferraris in L.A. and shit. I think that's how it went. I might be completely wrong about that. But uh, that's kind of what Billie Eilish and her brother did. They were just always playing songs in their house growing up. And uh, started to release the stuff uh, to the internet. Now that we have the internet, right? And you no longer need to book a studio. Anybody can just, you know, walk in. Kind of like I do. You know, I tell you, 20 years ago, when I was in bands and you wanted to record an album, you had to go into an actual studio and pay 40 50 $200 an hour to go in. From the second you walk in that door, you're paying 40 50 200 bucks an hour. And that's setting up all your equipment, having the engineers mic it and then track it. I mean, it's thousands of dollars. Now, anybody... Even if you don't have much experience with instruments or anything, if you're good with a computer, you can pick up a computer and um, like a PreSonus audio box and become the next Moby. 
And that's okay. that did not exist when I was young, in Billy's age, in her brother's uh, age. That didn't exist. The internet didn't exist. YouTube did, didn't exist. And if you wanted to record an album, you had to pay thousands of dollars out of your own pocket or you had to have a record deal. Now, with little to no experience, you can record a whole album in your room, start a record label, put it online, and then the next thing you know, you're a billionaire, right? <laughs> so I guess I'm kind of trying to follow in the same suit. Um, because I've been a musician for 25 years and I think I'm a pretty good, uh, you know, kind of talking guy, I got a, some good points and stuff like that. I figured, ah, fuck, you know, I'm going to start releasing my music to YouTube. I'm going to start using the power of the internet, just like other people are. I'm going to start a talk show. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to start all that stuff. I'm going to start doing stand up. I'm just going to throw a bunch of seeds out, you know, but you know, I'm almost looking at my future. Like it's a, like a dirt backyard. And what I'm doing here in this podcast is just one seed, but I've taken like a thousand seeds and just tossed them into a dirt backyard. And I'm seeing what, if any, of those seeds might pop up into a career for myself outside of a cubicle. Because I fucking refuse to work at a cubicle or sit behind a computer, uh, you know, watching a server or any of that IT bullshit that I kind of grew up on. And the whole reason why I got into the IT game in the first place was I knew it was good money at the time. There wasn't a lot of people doing it. This was the late 90s. And I needed something to do. Was I into computers? Fuck no. I was raised on them. You know, I was just that right age where I wasn't born with an iPhone in my face like other people are. But I was young enough to where computers and the internet were coming out as I was like in high school and stuff. So I'm part of that Generation X that, you know, had the technology in their youth but didn't really take to it like it is now. Like the craziness that people use the technology now. I mean, I can't imagine being born in 2019 with the technology that we now have. Where if you look at your iPhone... The iPhone used to be 50 products 20, 30 years ago, if you think about it. The iPhone isn't really just even a phone anymore. Your iPhone is a computer, it's a recording studio, it's a television. I mean, it's everything, right? It's an entire music library, it's a record player, it's a tape player, it's a CD player. I mean, the things you can do now just on an iPhone is literally insane. Um... I mean, they talked about this even years ago, that the power that was in, like, a computer 20 years ago, like, the actual processing power of it, was more powerful than the computer that was on the uh, Apollo mission that made it to the moon. And that was just a basic computer from, like, the late 90s. So just think about the processing power in a new iPhone 11. <laughs> the processing power in an iPhone 11 was is probably more powerful than we had in a jet 30 years ago. It's nuts. So just technology in social media and the way it is right now, as bad as it is and can be, there are good sides of it, right? You can now get discovered and be given a development deal, be given a recording deal, just by putting yourself out there in a podcast, filming yourself doing stand-up, 
uh, releasing your music to SoundCloud, Reverb Nation, any of those sites, right? You can do it. Um, it's just the way that uh, the internet is now set up. Uh, you literally can just, uh, you know, you don't need to have the record deal anymore. But I'm telling you, back when I was in the game, at at the age that, uh, you know, Phineas and Billy are, um, we didn't have any of those tools. Nobody knew how to, nobody knew who you were around the world unless you were being played on the radio or being played on MTV or you were somehow on a, uh, like a big tour, like, uh, you know, Lollapalooza back then, Family Values, that kind of stuff. That's the only way you were going to get known is if an A&R guy heard of you, stumbled into town, saw your band and said, you know, offered you a hundred grand development deal or something like that. That's the only way you're going to make it. But now you can have little to no experience inside of your living room, in your sweatpants, release an album and a record label, and then become Justin Bieber. And that's not saying that Justin Bieber is not talented. I'm just saying, I'm just doing the comparison on 20 years ago to now and how easy it is to actually put yourself and your product out there. It's insane. Literally, YouTube now is like owning your own TV station. And there's kids out there that are <laughs> that are like two-thirds less my age. There's like 10-year-old kids out there that are um, running their own record labels, YouTube channels, hundreds of thousands of followers. And, and a lot of them, what they're doing is they actually have, uh, like they're, uh, my nephew is into this, uh, a lot of kids are into this, and this is something I'm scratching my head at. But kids have become, I guess, fascinated with watching other people play video games. Let that one sink in. I don't know if you have kids or if you've seen this or heard about this, but this is something that I just heard about. Uh, kids are really into this, apparently. They like to sit around and watch the TV. No surprise there. But they like watching other kids play video games. I can't figure that out. And I don't know if that's just me now becoming like old, being like, oh, these fucking kids these days, you know, I just don't get it. Is that how I've become? Or is that kind of odd to you, even if you're 20, you know? Kids sitting around watching other kids play video games, and they find that like entertainment. We played video games. I, I played video games as a kid. I did. But it was also at that age, you know, like the Nintendo, Sega, like the first systems to come out. Uh, ColecoVision was around when I was a toddler. So, but at the same time, we had the video game access when we got out of school. But we didn't just do it constantly like kids do now. You know, we also went outside and played football, baseball, you know, did all that stuff. So despite the fact that the video games were around and that they were brand new, it's it's not like it was today. And I can tell you, I still play video games. I have an Xbox uh, 360. I don't need to go out and get the Xbox 10. I don't, because I don't play games enough. I like the sports games. I like the basketball game, the Madden games. I like the driving games. I think they're fun, um, even, as an, even as an adult now. Um, I think those video games are fun. However, it was always the biggest um, bummer 
to me and my friends, regardless of our age, whether we were playing video games in the same room at 15 or whether we were doing it at 30 or 35, if it wasn't your turn, you were so disinterested and you just couldn't wait till you had the controller back in your hand. You know, you wanted to be the person playing the game. When it wasn't your turn, it sucked, you know? But that's basically what these kids are doing is it's like not their turn and they're never going to get the controller but they're sitting there entertained by watching somebody else play a video game like wouldn't you be more entertained if it was you controlling the person in a video game i i i am literally at a loss for words i i i don't get it and i guess that's what i and that's what else i don't get i I don't I don't know if that's me at that age now that's just looking at kids and going, Oh, kids these days, I just don't fucking get it, you know. Or is that a real thing? You know, is that a real phenomena? You know, that just is that weird? Or is that just something that kids do that just adults don't get? I I, I don't know. I I just can't wrap my head around being entertained by watching somebody else play a video game but kids do that kids actually stream themselves onto a youtube channel of them playing video games and they get like millions of followers that just watch them play video games and i i i don't know maybe i'm missing out maybe i gotta check it out but anyways god damn I apologize. There's probably going to be audio issues all over your car. If I blow out your speakers, if your subwoofer blows up, if I blow the roof off your car, send me the bill, will you? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But, uh, yeah, you know, it feels like sometimes, uh, you know, I'm monitoring the audio levels here through a microphone that's completely separate from the computer. And it sounds like I'm perfectly perfect other times and other times I'm not, you know, this must be a crazy dimensional microphone because as 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 I'm as I'm kind of leaning around the sides of it, I'm noticing that I'm hearing myself more in one ear and the other. So if you're driving down the road right now, is my voice going in and out of your left and right speakers? Is that screwing you up? Am I gonna make you crash? <laughs> Alright. So yeah, please bear with me. I'm a fool, I'm a tool. Not really, but I'm completely new to this, so just keep listening. I'm hoping this shit's going to get better. But, all right, some of the stuff I wrote down and I wanted to talk about is, you know, this whole CBD kick, right? Anybody heard of CBD? CBD is the same active ingredient as THC. THC is what's in marijuana. THC is what makes you stoned off of marijuana. CBD is just like THC, except it doesn't get you stoned, but it gives the same medical benefits as uh, marijuana in terms of uh, taking away pain, taking away stress, making you chill out, giving you an appetite. It's been working for people with cancer for years, people with glaucoma for years, and even people that used to deify marijuana. They used to listen to the news, right? And they would watch uh, Reefer Madness in the 40s, and they would think that uh, weed was bad. 
in that everybody who smoked weed was just a stoner. Like, hey, man, you know, let's go smoke some weed, bro, you know? Hey, man, you know, just that's the stereotype that so many people I know looked at despite what we know in 2019 as marijuana. In somebody very close to me, I'm not going to say who it is, but somebody very close to me is suffering from cancer. She's in tons of pain, and she was literally taking the strongest narcotic medication that you can get, and it was not taking away her pain. She was crying in so much pain. And to see somebody that you love in that much pain, and you can't help them, especially when they are just a saint of a person, is fucking heartbreaking. You ever been there? Whether your kid hurts themselves, whether your wife is sick, I mean, you know, your mom, anybody that you care about that is just such an awesome person that is in pain or, you know, and you just can't do shit to help them. You feel helpless, right? She recently, for the first time in her life, tried some THC slash CBD cream that you just rub on your skin. Wouldn't you know it? It instantly, instantly took away her pain. And she is better and happier than she has ever been since she got the news that she had cancer. Where is her story on TV? You know, they keep wanting to deify weed like it's bad, like everyone's using it and dying and crap. I mean, it's, it's, people, the amount of misinformation and propaganda that you see on the news, on social media is nuts. You really have to question authority, question the news, question reality, experience shit for yourself. I've known since the mid-90s through personal experience that marijuana was therapeutic for me. Okay? But everybody looked at weed smokers in the stereotypical way, just like we look at so many other people and things, right? The stereotypical marijuana smoker was, you know, a pizza delivery kid with no job, a complete idiot, you know? When in actuality, you have brilliant, successful, skilled neurosurgeons that you know on their night off will roll up a joint that's the truth of the matter people okay <laughs> so when it comes to anything even if somebody says you know don't go see that movie it sucks P people say that to me all the time it, it just recently happened uh ad astra is a movie that i want to go see and i was going to take a buddy of mine and my buddy heard from another buddy's wife that it's sad. And he's like, maybe we shouldn't go see it. And I'm like, dude, this is exactly the fucking problem with everything. I am not going to let somebody's opinion of a movie all of a sudden dictate the fact that I'm no longer going to see it. Everybody's got opinions and they all fucking suck. All right. So before you decide not to watch a movie, not to read a book, to discount somebody before you've met them based on someone else's opinion, just wait for it yourself. Don't watch the news. Don't listen to the fucking rhetoric. Don't listen to the propaganda. Go out and discover the answer for yourself. 
because there are so many mis there's so many people that are so misinformed about so many subjects and they are just dead wrong. So my point is that not even the strongest narcotic pain medication could help this person with their pain. They rubbed a little bit of marijuana cream on it and it instantly took away their pain and they have never sounded happier or better. Are they stoned? No. And I know a lot of you out there who have never heard of CBD or look at weed as, you know, the same way other people look at it, okay? The same person that is now taking this THC cream had that view on marijuana. Had the stereotypical view. She had never tried it, had never used it, nothing. Thought it was this big, bad, deifying, awful, addict, you know, just whatever the media wants to fill your head with about how horrible it is. But the power of information, people, has just gotten too strong. And that's why it's been legalized recreationally in so many states across this country. It should be legalized nationally. It should also be taken off of uh, the federal, or the FDA, isn't it in the same class as heroin? Like in the states, I believe, where marijuana is still illegal, if you're busted with heroin or if you're busted with pot, it's like, the, it's, it's like looked at as the same thing. And that is also one of the most ridiculous statements I can possibly think anyone could possibly say. But it's true. It's law. How can you put marijuana in the same classification as heroin? <laughs> I shake my head, people. I'm literally shaking my head just at a, compl at a complete dis disbelief at some of this stuff. I know it exists, but when I say it out loud on a podcast, I I'm <laughs> I just literally, I just get my tongue tied. I get tongue tied because it's just such a stupid concept to me, but... um so anyways, this woman always looked at it as kind of a, a bad thing based on the propaganda and based on never trying it for herself. Has cancer, was in an extreme amount of pain, finally said, I'm going to try it, I don't give a shit at this point. Tried it and now realized, oh my god, look what it just did for me. If that isn't a success story about everything, that is a that is a lesson that can be applied to any situation that this country is in before you get all pissed off and raged out over anything and everything just think on it for 24 hours or you know come to your own conclusions don't watch the news and then buy everything that they're saying hook line and sinker because it's happening in massachusetts right now with this mass vape ban where it is still fact that the people who got sick smoked um, weed oil that had a whole bunch of other bad shit in it. It was like aftermarket. You know what that means? It was like illicit. It wasn't bought from a store or from a manufacturer. It was somebody filled up. It was almost like somebody filled up an empty can and just put a bunch of crap in it and then vaped on it and got sick. And then the governor just went and wiped out the entire vape process. Um, which, by the way, has not worked. 
And we all knew it wouldn't. Anybody who vaped is still vaping. Governor Baker. Everybody who was vaping THC is still vaping THC. The legal ones. You haven't done anything. The people that were still doing it are still doing it. They're just taking their business elsewhere. All you've done in this state since you banned it is cause local businesses to lose thousands of dollars and send people across the borders into other states. And they're just rubbing their hands together, loving it. That's all you've done. Or what you've done is push people back onto cigarettes. I know people who had quit smoking cigarettes and had gone to vaping who have now gone back to cigarettes. Or they've just gone over the border into other states to buy their products. Massachusetts is not a very wide, large state, okay? Even if you live on the northern fringe of the state, if you want to get down to Connecticut, it's like 45 minutes. If you're in Connecticut and you just cross over the border into Mass and you want to get up into Vermont and New Hampshire, it's 45 minutes. If you're in Boston and you want to get over the border into New York, it's like two hours, you know? So there's quick access to other states. Massachusetts is a very small state in terms of land area, okay? You could probably fit like 60 of us in Texas. Um, so it's not like it's difficult. And, uh, you know, I haven't had to go there yet. Um, I told you guys that this wasn't going to beat me, that I wasn't going to go back to smoking fucking cigarettes. There's just no fucking way that's happening. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be going on the gum. And uh, if the gum doesn't work out, I can just cross the border. But that's what you've done, Governor Baker, because I know some local uh, businesses, one local business owner. You know, I don't go to the chain stores um, for certain products. I try to give the local business owners the business as opposed to going to the Walmart or the Target. You know, I try to give the local business owners the business. So when I go to buy, you know, a loaf of bread, a stick of butter, or, you know, on the way home from work, or I'm going to get lottery tickets or vape, alcohol, whatever, I go to my local buddy down the road, right? This is killing his business. He's losing a lot of money. And it's not because everyone is all of a sudden stopped because you banned it. <laughs> they're just buying cigarettes or they're going over the border. That's all you've done. It would be no different than if the governor all of a sudden banned alcohol. You think people would just all of a sudden stop drinking? No. People would still drink what they have, or they'd figure out the ban was coming, and they'd go buy up the whole store, or they'd just go drive across the border. This is why the war on drugs has never worked. Marijuana has been illegal, uh, I don't know, since what, the 40s? Across, you know... I know alcohol was illegal in what the twenties, and then it, it wasn't, and then weed was, and then it wasn't, and then it and then it is, and now it's not. It's federally illegal, but it's not. Uh, you know, it's legal in California. It's legal in Colorado. It's legal in Massachusetts, and I think a whole another number, uh, number of other states. But uh, yeah, it's just it's nuts to. You know, you ever watch that show Live PD? And you see people getting arrested for having like a little joint in their car. And then, you know, the people sitting in Massachusetts or Connecticut watching that <laughs> have got plants in their backyard growing. And it's completely legal. They got their marijuana plants growing right next to the cucumber and tomatoes, you know, like it should be. 
It's a God-given plant. It's no different than tobacco. Tobacco is not harmful. It's the shit they put in cigarettes that's harmful. You get it? Tobacco is the same thing. Tobacco gives you a little buzz, right? It's a spice. That's what marijuana is. It's a spice. It's not a drug. It's a God-given spice that he sprinkled all around the planet. wonder why. Because it's got medical benefits, people. It had the power to take away the cancer patient's pain when not even the strongest fucking narcotic could. Bud, marijuana, did that. Where's that story? Remember the 90s commercial? This is your brain, frying an egg. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? <laughs> yeah. The fuck? <laughs> you know? Where's the success story? That was, a, that, uh, that was an old Bill Hicks bit. Bill Hicks used to talk about this all the time in his stand-up, God bless him, before he passed. You know, he used to talk about, if you don't think drugs are good, and you don't think that drugs have done some good things for people, go home, do me a favor, and burn all of your records, albums, and CDs. Because the people that made all that great music over the course of your lives, that's, in, that's enhanced your lives, they were real fucking high. That's straight off his, uh, that's a straight bit from Bill Hicks. And it's true. I don't care if you like, uh, the Beatles, if you liked Led Zeppelin, if you liked, uh, B.B. King, Neil Young, John Denver, name the artist. They smoked weed. Sorry. Sorry to burst your bubble. They might have even taken acid one time, or mushrooms, or experienced, or, you know, even, you know, sniffed cocaine because they were curious what it smelled like. Sorry. The name of the production company sponsoring this podcast is called Reality Drip. Things I might say you might find offensive, or, <gasps> no. I'm giving you the truth, people, okay? Most of the musicians that you love and respect. What helped them write a lot of that music is drugs and going through tough times. That is the key. You got to have a little bit of skill to write a song. You got to have a singer that's got a great voice. That's a key. Um, if you're going through heartache or heartbreak or you've led a tragic life, that's where some of the best music writing and vocals and uh, uh, songwriting comes from. And uh, smoking a little bud, people. Um, is also a great tool for thinking and writing and thinking outside the box. It is a thinking tool. Um, I don't know how else to explain it. But when you see somebody you love that can't take their pain away with the strongest narcotic medication, and then you see them rub a little marijuana cream into their arm, and it changes their life when they're suffering, if that isn't beauty, I don't know what is. And if that doesn't say how great of a spice this is and how it should be nationally available to anyone that needs it. And that ties into another theory that I have. Call it a conspiracy theory. Call me a conspiracy guy. But tell me this. Why do we continue to let cigarettes be legal when they kill so many people? Why do we continue to prescribe painkillers to people when they can give them a little bit of marijuana? We continue to string people out on painkillers. 
Is it because pharmaceutical companies make trillions of dollars and then share that money with the people and the lawmakers in Hollywood, or in uh, Washington? Yes. Yes. And I think it's the same reason why vape was just banned in Massachusetts because the um, big tobacco was, was losing money. They've been losing money. Think about it. Pretty much all across this country, you can't smoke cigarettes anymore anywhere right you can't smoke anywhere indoors unless it's a private building or club right i literally cannot think of the last time i saw somebody in public light up a cigarette it's actually been a while long time cigarette smoking you used to be able to you used to see it everywhere in the 70s and 80s, right, it was in restaurants, it was on airplanes, it was allowed everywhere. And then slowly but surely it started to get banned from restaurants and from bars and from clubs, and now it's been banned from cities. And people have kind of smartened up, and a lot of people have gone to vaping. Because when you are actually vaping with a very low-powered device, like a Juul, like I use, that creates hardly any smoke, and all you're inhaling is just pure very low-grade nicotine juice. It's water vapor. It doesn't have any smell to it. However, there are some people out there, you've probably seen it, and this is another thing I hate that the media does. When the media around here was talking about the day, when they, when they were talking about the vape ban, and they were using images, do you think they used subtle images? No. They, they found somebody that had a vape... Uh, thing that looked like it was a fucking saxophone and it blew out a cloud of smoke like a fucking smokestack you know that's what they want you to envision that vaping is that everybody has this vape device that's literally the size of a fucking saxophone and then you're just blowing these giant you know fucking rings out of it you know that's been around for like 20 years they actually have uh like smoke ring contest with these big like vaporizer devices the vape business people has been around for i think 20 years it's not until that big tobacco started to see a huge hit because nobody smokes fucking cigarettes anymore that the government had to get involved and find the first little thing that went wrong which is some illegal shit that kids were smoking and say that's our excuse that gives us the excuse to now ban vape so let's so we can get the uh because the election's coming up we need to get the uh the fourth quarter uh big tobacco points up the stock up because they're going to give us a whole shitload of money for our campaign right that's how this country works people that's how the government works wake up you know this is what's caused it um, this is why marijuana is not legalized across the entire country and not prescribed like it should be for pain, for anxiety, for people with eating problems. They don't want you to know. They want you to go down the road and give Big Pharma the money. They want to hook you on uh, barbiturates and friggin' uh, what the hell are they called? Uh, you know, uh, antidepressants, anti-anxieties, anti-life pills, anti-I-don't-want-to-feel-life-anymore-put-me-on-this-fucking-shit. Stop. Stop giving the pharmaceutical companies money. There are literally God-given natural cures out there for all of your ailments. You don't need to come home and hit the crack pipe. <laughs> you don't have to come home and, uh, you know, 
take your Oxycontin, all right? Come home and smoke a little bit of Bud. It gets rid of your arthritis. It'll relax you. It'll make you hungry. It'll keep you from going out and doing stupid shit. I'm telling you, it'll make you interested in TV again. Make sex better. It'll make you play with your kids. You won't beat your wife up. All right? There's so many things out there that they don't want you to know about. Because if you start knowing about it, you're not going to go out and buy these products. And then when you don't go out and buy these products, then the government officials don't get their fucking kickbacks. That's why they push these agendas. And this isn't some leftist or rightist talking. If you listen to any of my podcasts, you'll know that I fucking hate politics. I don't understand politics. I couldn't tell you what a Democrat or Republican is. I don't get it. I couldn't even tell you if someone says, oh, he leans left or she leans right. I don't know which way left or fucking right is. I don't. I couldn't tell you if left is Democrat or left is Republican. Um, I literally don't know. All I know is that the government is corrupt. It's fake. It's broken. Um, but I literally am able to agree with and pick up on points from the left and the right. I was recently talking to a lady that I know that is... She's either far left or far right. Okay? I'm neither. I'm 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 not independent. I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I'm not bleeding heart liberal. I'm not any of those political terms. I'm just me. I form my opinion on what's right or wrong rooted in common sense. In just basic right and wrong. Not a democratic way of thinking, not a republican way of thinking. So we just had a good conversation the other day about gun control. And she was all about, let's take everyone's guns away. Guns are the problem. And by the end of the conversation, I had her agreeing with me. Not because my views are left or right or because I'm pro-gun or anti-gun. I just can see both sides of the argument, and that's what needs to happen. We don't need a Democratic president. We don't need a Republican president. We just need somebody who's none of that shit. Isn't there anybody out there that we can elect and nominate and vote for that is not a politician, that just knows how to run shit? with some compassion and some conviction and doesn't do it rooted in a democratic way or republican way but just from a human aspect of it why do we have the form of government that we do because that's the way we wrote the constitution yeah I get it you know I get it the constitution is great I think it's a great set of things to live by i do right especially in today's day and age but the whole way the government works with the way the president gets elected with the electoral college with the left the right the up the down the bickering the arguing the fucking finger pointing the collusion the the extreme corruption of shit being passed laws being passed not because they're the right laws but because somebody on the back end is profiting from the fucking law that they're putting into place it happens constantly 
change is only going to happen in this country if we stand up to it. And I'm not saying start a revolution. I'm not saying go on social media and bitch. I'm just saying to start thinking for yourself. Try looking at a topic or a subject without your outrage, without your bullshit, without an open mind. Because in order to make things better in this country, there is going to have to be sacrifice. It's almost like a relationship. Okay? If you want to break down the entire country into left, into right, then let's break it. I'll break it down for you simpler. Let's break it down into a relationship. Any relationship. Doesn't mean a friendship. A marriage. Doesn't matter if it's woman, woman, man, man, man on woman, toaster on dishwasher. Doesn't matter. It's a two-way street, right? In order to make that friendship work, there has to be sacrifice, right? When your wife gains 200 pounds when she's pregnant and she says, Am I beautiful? You go, yes, yes, you're so beautiful. But maybe, you know, maybe she's not looking great. You know, you know, it's compromising. You know, you got the football game on, and your poor wife, you know, she's not feeling well. She comes in and says, "Can we watch the, can we watch the Real Housewives?" And you're like, "Yes." You know, it's compromise. If we're gonna fix gun control, if we're gonna fix anything out there that's broken, it's literally gonna require some of us to bend and flex. There is no way that all of us across this country are going to be able to have our cake and eat it too. We're going to have to shake hands, come together, compromise, okay? Think about shit a little bit more. And this is where all my thinking is rooted. And I, I, I just can't understand why anybody with differences, politicians, the president, just can't remove his head from his ass all of them and just base the decisions on this it's it's pretty insane to me okay i'm getting way off the topics i wanted to talk about but it's good so yeah i mean you know sorry it's all it's all rooted in common sense people it really is and there are so many kind of little words of wisdom that I like to live by, but one of the most important things to me, and believe me, uh, when I don't get this back, I actually get pissed off. I really try to treat people as though I want to be treated in every facet of my life, especially at my age now. I'm trying to literally treat everybody as I want to be treated. And I guess the way I want to be treated... <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to be treated like a king or a god. I just I just want a little bit of respect, you know? And when I don't get it, I get pissed off. You know? Have you ever held the door for somebody? Like, really held it for them? Like, they were literally, like, a minute behind you, but, you know, you just felt bad, and you just held the door, and they just go right by you? <laughs> they just ghost you? Like, you didn't just take a minute out of your day to hold the door for them? <laughs> I get pissed at that. Um, you know, when I'm flying down the road and I see somebody struggling to pull out in traffic, I go, fuck it. I'm going to stop. I'm going to let them out. But when I don't get that little slightest nod or wave of acknowledgement for how I just like went out of the way for you, 
I get so fucking angry. And then it literally makes me not want to do it again. Because I keep trying to go out of my way to help people, and I keep getting slapped in the face until eventually, and I think a lot of us are like this, we just say, fuck it. I'm done. I'm done holding the door for people. I'm done smiling for people because everybody's fucking miserable. Nobody smiles. Nobody waves. Nobody thanks each other, so I'm just going to give up. And that's not the right attitude either. So I'm going to keep coming at you. I'm going to keep smiling. I'm going to keep holding the door for you. I'm going to keep, you know... And occasionally I do get that thank you. I do get that big old wave like, fuck man, you just saved my life. I couldn't pull out of the street for 10 minutes and you just let it happen. You know? And then I see other people just completely oblivious. Completely oblivious to anybody around them. People never seem to think about anybody but themselves. A lot of people do, at least. It's nuts. Um... Next time you do something, whether it's out in public, where there's other people, just think for a second about what you're about to do and how it might affect other people. Like when you want to be loud or annoying out in public, do you think other people want to listen to that shit, you know? But if you're at home and you don't have neighbors and you want to be fucking loud and annoying, go for it, right? You know, you got a crying baby. You think anyone in the movie theater wants to sit through an entire movie with your crying baby? You know, the right move is to not bring the crying baby to the movies. But if you had to, if the baby starts crying, just walk out with the baby, right? You just don't sit there throughout the whole movie with a baby crying, just ruining everyone else's day. And this used to happen to me constantly. And this is and this is what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, I was talking to my father the other day, and it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, what's up, Dad? What are you up to? Oh, I'm waiting to mow the lawn. What are you waiting for? Uh, the lady across the street, she works nights. I said, really? So you're waiting until you know that she's up after working all night till you go and run your lawnmower? Yeah. That is the same fucking way I am in my life. Literally. I constantly think about how my actions, how my noise level, and all of that is affecting people around me. I'm always thinking about that. I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to be loud. I want to be respectful. And the fact that, you know, my father was holding off mowing the lawn just until he knew this woman was awake. How fucking cool is that? Who does that? But how fucking... The woman had no idea, right? My dad doesn't say, I'm, you know, he, he, he doesn't need the recognition that he waits every time he wants to mow the lawn until he knows that she's awake. He knows what it's like, and that's how he raised us boys. With common sense, common sense to think before you act, to think before you do, to think about other people to keep your ego at the door, to treat others with respect. This is all shit I was raised with. And I think it's all stuff that is is just God-given. Everybody has it. I don't think anyone's born rude or ignorant. That is a learned, that is a learned, taught thing to be ignorant or, or stupid or closed-minded. That is a taught thing. I think we are all given 
the God's gift of just common sense to know right from wrong, to treat people with respect, to not steal, to not cheat, to do the right thing. I mean, have you ever gone out of your way to help somebody? It feels great. I fucking love it. Every time I'm able to make somebody laugh or smile, it makes me feel good. I love it. I think that's half the reason why I want to do stand-up. Just because I know when I'm up there, if I'm fucking killing it, and I'm making people laugh, I feel fucking great about that. If there is one person that ever listens to this podcast that actually truly enjoys listening to me just ramble on, I fucking love it, and I fucking love you. If there's anybody that I've ever been able to help, I love it. Just try it one day. Try, stop, try, try, try not being an asshole for one day. And just try going out of your way to help people. And some of the people aren't going to appreciate it because I think people are just, you know, immune to it now. They just can't see uh, kindness. But just kill people with kindness. And I think it's going to start a spark. I, I really do. Pay it forward. And that kind of brings me into another thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, at the age that I'm at and where I live in the country, I know some famous people now. I have some contacts in this business. I know an NFL starting quarterback. Won't say the name. I don't directly know him, but my cousin was roommates with him in college. Anytime I want, I can get a jersey with that guy's autograph. I can get tickets to go see him. Um, I personally know famous musicians. I know two famous filmmakers. I have contacts. However, something I've noticed is that um, something happens when people reach a little bit of fame, even if it's like D-list celebrity fame. Or, like, the let's say you have a million dollars in the bank. That's great. That's not even a lot of money anymore, is it? A million? But it's, but it's good, right? People with just the littlest bit of fame, what happens to your ego? Did you not... Did you, do you forget what it was like to struggle and eat shit? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think I have a lot of talents. I think there are a lot of other people that I know that come from this area that are talented as fuck. Some great bands, some great comedians, some great writers, some people that would have killed it in this business. Uh, one of my friends, uh, he's an MC, a DJ, a rapper, whatever you want to call him. I think he is fucking phenomenal. How he and his band have not blown up, I don't know. But I am going to start pushing him on, on my social media. Because I think it's ridiculous. Uh, where I live in the country is a hot spot for music. If you really do some research, you can probably figure out, you know, I my business is rooted in the, in the Los Angeles area. However, I am not out there yet. I am living in and around the Boston, New York City area right now. And kind of in between Boston and New York City, if you were to draw a straight line between Boston and New York City, and then kind of go up and left, right, towards the western side of Massachusetts, that is a hotbed for music and arts. I don't care if you're into painting, podcasting, comedy, music, 
Look at the artists that came come out of uh, Massachusetts and Boston. Rob Zombie, Boston. Joe Rogan, Boston. Dane Cook, Boston. Aaron Lewis, Boston. Bill Burr, Boston. Matt Damon, Boston. Ben Affleck, Boston. I say Boston because they weren't actually all from inside Boston. I just say Boston because if I told you their hometown that's west of Boston like me, you wouldn't know what the fuck I'm talking about, right? So we just say Boston. You might not be living in L.A., but you say I'm from L.A., right? But nobody's actually in L.A. You're living in, I don't know, Los Feliz, Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. That's where I want to be, right? But you say Los Angeles. You don't say I live in Dorchester. You say I live in Boston, right? You don't say, hey, I come from Averill. No, you come from Boston, right? But just, you know, Boston is just, it's awesome. And it's not necessarily Boston. It's just the area of Boston. There's a there's an eclectic collection of anything and everything. We have rednecks up here, we have hicks up here, we have progressives up here, we got black people up here, white people, green people, yellow people. My high school was just a triage of every different race, mix, color, no fights, everybody got along, you know, zero racism, well, at least compared to the South. It's just, uh, I'm telling you, the Northeast United States is an awesome place to, to visit, live, raise a family. A lot of talented people come out of this area. A lot. Um, it's just filled with fantastic people that are passionate about their families, their sports, uh, their community. Um, they're not fucking racist. Um, they are woke. They're down with the times. Uh, they're just great fucking people, really. If you're thinking about somewhere to move and you want to get at... Actually, no, don't come here, please. <laughs> this is one of the best kept secrets, I think, in the country, is this area. Um, everybody who comes here suddenly moves here. And as God is my witness, I won't go into names because I'm not that person. But, um, you know, 30 years ago compared to now, there are there are a lot of famous people that now live in a 20-mile radius of here. A lot of famous people that you see on TV every night have moved into western Massachusetts. So, yeah, that's exactly why I'm going to Los Angeles, right? But yeah, the the phenomena of when people make it just forgetting about where they came from is something I've really been immersed in this summer. And it's and it's and it's something I guess I can't figure out. It's something I don't like because it's 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 not me and it's not how I would be. Am I famous? No. Am I a millionaire? No. Have I made it in quote unquote Hollywood? No. Do I have a publicist or a fucking agent? No. Do I have a lot of CDs and records and music shit out there? Yeah. I can say without a doubt that I am an established musician. That I can say. But can I call myself a fucking comedian or a successful writer or producer? No, not yet. I can't. But I'm trying, right? Uh, but this that's the point. Is just... You know, if if I were to get a call tomorrow from a record label that said, "Okay, we're going to give you five hundred grand to in tour support, in merch support, 
in record sport. You got to pay it back. We're going to send you out on tour with XYZ. And then two years from now, now I have some fame. And now I have maybe a little bit of money. And now all of a sudden, I guess I've become a little bit popular or whatever. And yeah, maybe more people will be all of a sudden paying attention to me uh, than they weren't. But I don't know. I it just I know what it's like to be on the outside. I know what it's like to be in the crowd watching a band that you just know that you're as good, if not better than. No disrespect to that band, but you know, some people hit the lottery and some don't. If you think there aren't bands out there that would blow your mind that you'll never hear, there are. There are. You ever watch that uh, song? Uh, yeah, that song. You ever watch that new TV show, uh, Songland, that Adam Levine is producing, where they bring in unknown producers and musicians and, you know, famous people uh, come in and listen to their songs? Have you watched that show? And seeing some of the talented people and the songwriters that come on that show that are completely unknown. I, I think there's been a couple out of the 60 or 70 people that have been on that show that I wouldn't have given a record deal to if I had the money to give them a record deal. There are so many unknown, fantastic people out there, whether it comes to uh, comedians, uh, writers, producers. Um, it's not just already established people, okay, that have big ideas. I think I'm sitting on one of the biggest reality TV show ideas ever. To the point where I just recently um, copyrighted it with the Screen Actors uh, Guild. Because I know one day somebody is going to make that fucking reality show. And, I'm, and, and I cannot wait to, 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 to sue them uh, when they do. Uh, because now the idea is out there. People can now see it and look at it. I don't even want to talk about it. I, I've shared it with very few people. Because there's been times where I've shared other ideas that have really been, that have literally been ripped off from me that I can't prove, but um, that that is one idea that I was not going to share with anybody. But now that I have it copyrighted, you know, as part of the you know trying to build on my future, I've been trying to shop it around. I've been trying to shop it around even to some pretty uh, low level people in the industry, and it's not like I come out and say, "Hey, man," you know. I got the next big idea. Fucking check me out, man. You know, I, tr I try to build and establish a relationship with them. I don't want anybody to think, even people out there with like Z-list celebrity fame, okay? I don't want anyone thinking that I'm out there trying to use you, okay? It's just, I think I have a brilliant idea. And I think if there was somebody in fucking Hollywood or whatever you want to call it that would listen to it, they'd be like, holy fuck, I have to make that. I don't have the money or the production company level yet to make a reality show like I want to make. But somebody's going to make it, and it's going to fucking kill. And it's crazy because I've reached out to a couple of hosts that host travel channel shows that really aren't A-list or B-list or even fucking C-list celebrities. And I've laid it out for them so simply about a non-disclosure agreement. It's copyrighted. You're not going to get in trouble. Can you just listen, please? I'm asking for two fucking minutes of your time, dude. I've been talking to you for two years. You know I'm not some rabid fan. I'm not trying to use you. 
I think this is an idea that can make me some money and you some money. And bring people some entertainment. And the fucking guy won't even listen. And that irritates me. It irritates me when, um, you know, not just some dude I was acquaintances with in high school, but an actual close high school friend of mine is now an extremely huge, like, musician. And I've kept in touch with him over the years. But he's become literally impossible to reach, impossible to talk to, because he's just now at that level of fame where just he just doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care if you guys were best friends 20 years ago. He doesn't give a fuck. And I swear to God, if I ever get that way, somebody shoot me. Somebody call me out on it. If you're listening to this audio and it's now fucking 2030 and I'm killing it and I'm acting like an egotistical rich fuck, call me out on it, please. I know what it's like to feel unnoticed, unwanted, unlistened to. I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to think that you're great. And there are bands out there that suck, that are just killing it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I love Billie Eilish. I really do. Uh, there's two of her songs I like. The rest, I don't care for. Um, you Should See Me in a Crown. I fucking love when the beat drops in that song. I think it's awesome. You should see me in a crown, right? Da -na 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 -na. One by one by one, one by one by. You should see me in a crown, right? It's fucking sick, dude. If I was in that crowd, I'd be like, "Yeah, motherfucker, it's awesome. That's sick. It's a great beat. That's a great song." Um, but the song I'm really the most impressed with is a song called "I Love You," and. I've let other people listen to it, and they just didn't have the same reaction I did. But that's also because I don't think they're actual music lovers. When I listened to that song for the first time, I watched uh, I watched their YouTube clip of them doing it from the September 27th, 2019 um, uh, Saturday Night Live, where they performed that song, I Love You, on stage. And they fucking killed it. When I listen to that song, I hear I hear Pink Floyd. I hear Alice in Chains. Um, I hear 90s music. The, the like the music that got me into music. I hear that in them. And I think that's their parents. I think they grew up listening to my music because their parent uh you know their parents, Phineas and uh, you know Billy's parents, are like my age, pretty much. So she's absolutely old enough to be my daughter. I would have been, what, like in my mid-20s if I had Billy? And if I had a daughter you would apt or a son, you would absolutely, they would absolutely would have been raised with instruments and music all around them. And I have to give congratulations to her parents. Her parents homeschooled her, kept her around instruments and happiness, and look at them now. But that song, I Love You, that her and her brother wrote, is fucking phenomenal. That song runs chills down my spine every time I listen to it. And if a, and if a song can do that to me, that's when I love it. And there's songs that do that to me that are pop, country, rock, metal, death metal, and everything fucking in between. If music doesn't make you feel like that, then it's okay. But I don't think you're a music lover. 
to be a music lover when you listen to it, it it actually does something to your body. It can make you laugh. It can make you cry. It can make you shiver. And it can make you fucking happy and bounce around the car. It can make you question your life. That's the power of music. It 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 it, it touches you. It does something to you. And if it doesn't, I I I, I legitimately feel bad for you. Because it, it, that's what it does for me. And that's what it does for so many other people. But music literally goes through me when I listen to it. It's an experience. And I really feel bad for somebody who, when they listen to music, they can only listen to it with their ears. They don't understand what's going on with the melody or the notes. They don't hear the synthesizer in the background. They don't understand that the note that he hits on that synthesizer um, over that ascending riff uh, for the bridge is just brilliant. You know, you don't get it. But as a musician and as a songwriter and somebody that really feels music, I'm telling you, Billie Eilish's I Love You song is fucking phenomenal. Every aspect of that song, the harmony, the riff, the lyrics, the notes, every aspect of that song is just brilliant. And I sent her a message on Instagram and told her that. I don't think she's read it, but one thing she really prides herself in is uh, you know, keeping contact with her fans. And I became a fan. I know her fan base is huge. You talk to any 10-year-old in this country, any 17-year-old in this country, they know who she is. Her fan base, people haven't seen it since the Beatles. And, um, I mean, I'm happy for her. I think it's great, but I also think it's kind of insane, too, because there's a lot of other artists out there that people could be listening to, too, that no one knows about. You know, there are more artists out there, besides for Billie Eilish, that you've never heard of, that you would probably love. And, um... That's why I'm saying, um, if you want to listen to some new music and you like music, don't rely on the radio, okay? Don't rely on XM, because the record labels that get those songs into rotation on XM or on your local radio station, they're paying for those plays. You're letting a radio station or you're letting XM radio dictate what you listen to for music. I highly suggest going onto Reverb Nation, onto Spotify, and checking out artists who are unsigned who has who have not blown up you know a lot of them are great you know i guess not everybody can have a recording contract but if you think that uh there aren't other people out there that can be just as big as billy eilish or the foo fighters or stained or alice in chains or any of your favorite bands they're out there i just guarantee you that the uh, right a and r people have not heard them um i think reverb nation social media um you know youtube soundcloud is helping people with more exposure but there are still a lot of other acts out there that uh, have never been heard from that are phenomenal. And I feel the same way about uh, comedy. I really do. So my point is that I know what it's like to eat shit. I know what it's like to... I know... I know. Let me give you a perfect example, okay? Um, something that Dave Grohl does. And this is why I so highly, highly respect Dave Grohl. He's one of my favorite musicians of all time. If I could sit down with any musician right now for the day and just kind of roll one up and just talk music and grab a guitar, it would be Dave Grohl, without a doubt. Any musician alive right now would be Dave Grohl, because I think he's one of the coolest, most down-to-earth motherfuckers ever. Okay? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know... Um, but what's my point? My point is that Dave Grohl will never know I exist. He probably doesn't know you exist. But one thing he does do is occasionally he'll let a fan up on stage. He'll see a fan at a show holding up a sign that says, I can play any one of your songs on drums or guitar. And he'll actually say, come up. 
It's so easy for them to do that. It's not hurting them. It's not costing them money. But it's literally changing that person that they're having up on stage's life. Something that simple. Literally life-changing. If you are anyone famous right now, or anybody popular, just sometimes shaking somebody's hand that's been wanting to meet you will literally make their month or their day or their life. It could change their life. Do you have anybody out there trying to contact you on social media that's not dick or not freaky that you've just been ignoring? Just, you know, just somebody hearing back from you on social media, you know, um, would make their day to know that they're not, that their words don't go unnoticed or unappreciated. And that's something I don't get, okay? I've reached out to friends that I was close to that are now big in the business and they want to act like they don't fucking know who you are, even though I'm not after them for tickets or money or anything. I'm just saying hi. I have a problem with that. You know, if I ever become rich or famous and there's somebody from high school that reaches out to me that I kind of only didn't know, I don't know if I talk to them. But if it's somebody that I lost contact with that I was close with in high school, fuck yeah. Absolutely. The second I make any money or fame, you don't think the first people I'm hiring to be around me are going to be my friends? They are. My friends and family are the ones that are going to benefit the most. Not my fucking fake friends. I have friends right now that I communicate with that I know are fake. I know they're fake. And they probably, maybe they're even listening to this. And uh, if one day I ever make it, they're going to be left out in the cold. They don't know it, but they are. And you say, well, how come you didn't take me? Because when I was first struggling like I am now, needing your help, or, you know, anything like that, you really didn't make yourself available. And I know for, I know for a fucking fact you said in the back of your mind, this kid's, you know, fuck that. Nobody I know ever makes it, you know? This, he thinks he's going to make it as a producer or as a writer or as a comedian or as an actor. There's just no way that's going to fucking happen. The more people that tell me that I can't fucking do something and that I can't make it, it's just fuel to the fire. It makes me want to do it more. Fuck that. You know? You're certainly not going to be successful by hoping it falls in your lap. Seriously. Wish, wish for something in one hand and then shit in the other and see which one fills up first. You are never going to become a comedian or a writer for Saturday Night Live, or Jimmy Fallon, or Bill Burr, or whoever your favorite anybody is. I don't care what dream you have. You're never going to get it by sitting on your fucking couch. You have to go out there and fucking do it. And that's my point, is that yes, there are certain people out there that were raised with a silver spoon in their mouth that just instantly became rich and famous, that literally has, has never known what it's like to struggle. But there are a lot of people in Hollywood that do know what it's like to eat shit for years and years and years and never be able to get that big break, never be able to shake that famous person's hand, uh, never got the opportunity to go backstage at a concert, you know? That's life-changing for fucking somebody. Have I been backstage before at shows? Well, fuck yeah. You know, I'm in bands. But have I been, like, backstage at, like, a 5,000-seat arena with, like, super big rock stars? Not that I would give a shit, because I don't get starstruck by anybody. I, I really don't. I don't care. Donald Trump could be sitting here right now, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat. I wouldn't give a shit. It, literally anybody. It doesn't matter. Because you have a hundred more million dollars than I do, because most of the world knows who you are and doesn't know who I am, it doesn't make you any fucking better than I do. Your breath stinks, your shit stinks, okay? You just happen to hit some kind of lottery that nobody can really play, okay? You can sign up to play Powerball and buy as many tickets as you can, but there is no lottery sign-up to become rich, successful, or famous, doing something that we would all enjoy doing. Acting, playing music, you know, comedy, writing, talking like I'm talking. You know, Joe Rogan. He's probably the most 
famous podcaster in the world, right? I, I believe that dude makes about 30 grand a podcast. And I've uh, talked for about as long as he talks. So literally all Joe Rogan has to do to make $30,000 five times a week, that's what, $150,000 a week, is show up to his Burbank studio and talk like I'm doing to a guest. And then he just rolls on out, can just fuck off for the rest of the day. That's awesome. But did he earn it? Absolutely. Does he owe me or anybody anything? Fuck no. I'm not talking shit. I'm just saying that everybody ate dick when they first started out. Unless you're Justin Bieber and just got discovered right off of YouTube. Never had to eat dick. Never had to travel uh, in the back of a van with 12 other dudes, load in your own equipment at a show in deep Texas in the middle of fucking August and play in front of three people. And then now you got to drive 16 hours to make it to your next show for 20 bucks. I did that for fucking years, bro. Comedians do it for years. But then they get some success and uh, they kind of have themselves up on a pedestal now. And I feel like they kind of forget what it was like to just eat dick and just struggle for all those years. And how much that they would have appreciated, not a fucking handout, but just, you know, something. Something. You know, there are a couple people on uh, social media that I don't stalk. You know, I just occasionally send them, uh, no, uh, even better. I'll give you classical advice. Uh, one of my favorite comedians, and I'm so happy he's fucking alive, is Artie Lang. Okay? You know who Artie Lang is? I hope you do. Artie Lang has struggled with cocaine and heroin addiction for years. He even lost his nose. And the guy has finally been back and healthy and doing stand-up in and around his New Jersey-based area for a few months now. And uh, I follow him on, uh, on Twitter. And uh, a couple times a week, you know, well, he posts all day long on Twitter. But a couple times a week, I'll go up on Twitter and, you know, respond to one of his posts. And it's not like there's thousands of, you know, there's not, it's not like there's thousands of replies. Uh, the guy really isn't as huge as he once was, especially when he was on the Howard Stern show. That's so many years removed now. Um, the guy's just been, you know, in rehab for years now, trying to overcome this addiction. And he finally has. And he's doing well. But he's taking it slow like he should. And I couldn't be more fucking happy for the guy. I really couldn't. And uh, like I said, I follow him on social media, on Twitter. And maybe a couple times a week over this whole summer, uh, depending on what he says, you know, there might be 20 comments. And I'll, just, and I'll say something always really positive to him. Like, we love you, Artie. You know, keep doing what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. You know, that fucker has never taken the time once to, like, like one of my, uh, you know, things. Not that he needs to, but that's just a kind of a classic example from somebody that's looking on the outside in, you know. Just having one of your fans, or just liking one of your fans' comments on social media could literally make their month. And it's like people get to that level, and they just, they won't even do that, you know. It's, and I'm never going to be that way. I promise you, if I ever get to any kind of fame or success, I'm going to be just as fucking humble as I am now. I am going to give the money back. I am going to help everyone who fucking struggles because I know what it's like to be on the outside. I know what it's like to have nobody fucking pay attention or listen to you no matter how loud you fucking scream. I, I, I get it. I understand how meaningful it would be to have uh, any other people I look up to, whether they're musicians or uh, comedians, just give me the time of day. Just once. It would change my life. It would be so fucking inspirational. It really would. Um, but they don't. And I truly don't think they care. I think they've just gotten to this level of fame where they're just, just this in this bubble and they just couldn't give a fuck about you. They really couldn't. Um, and maybe that's just me being uninformed, right? Because I've never been in their shoes. I just try to treat people as though I'd like to be treated, but I guess I 
don't quite know how I'd like to be treated if I was rich and famous. Um, you know, but I don't really care about being rich or about being famous. I really don't. I just want to be able to make a living doing something that I enjoy. And that's one of the reasons I'm doing just this podcast, because maybe this podcast will someday be popular and maybe it'll afford me um, a paycheck big enough to where I'm not a millionaire, but at least I can quit my day job. Right. That's all I'm looking to do. You know, I, 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 I really don't care about having a Ferrari in my garage or even having a fancy car or a fancy L.A. fucking Hollywood Hills home or that Los Feliz gated home. I don't care. I don't. I just want to make enough money to pay the bills, quit my job, and be able to do what I love for a living. I think everybody has that dream, don't they? The dream I have is to make a living as a musician, as a podcaster, as an actor, as a stand-up comedian, as a writer, as a producer. I can do any of those things. And now that I'm on social media and I have a podcast, I'm going to start releasing those things. Um, in the coming weeks, you're going to start to see uh, short animated funny stories that I'm going to, uh, I'm working with an animator right now and, uh, I'm going to be doing the voiceover soon and pretty soon my YouTube channel is going to get filled up with all sorts of, uh, short animated funny stories, stuff that's come out of my brain. A lot of it's rooted in real life, true stories. Uh, yeah. And I'm looking forward to that. I also got some, uh, some production ideas in the works for, for some documentaries I want to work on. Um, but again, I'm limited to, you know, how big of a documentary I can do by the amount of money and people that I have. You know, I need to build a base first. But what I do have coming up is uh, I'm looking forward to some Monday Night Football tonight. Um, I'm really looking forward to, uh, yeah, Monday Night Football. I'm looking forward to uh, a couple of phone calls I have tonight about a documentary um, I want to get started working on about uh, a little club in my area that was had to be one of the better clubs in the entire country in the 90s. Um, this club, I can't remember how many people it fit, maybe three or 400 people tops. When you think of a nightclub, this is the club. Everything in that club was black, had an actual stage, you know, uh, but there was no bouncers up front, uh, had a huge PA system. Everything was black. It looked like an underground New York city club and, it, and it's, and it's actually in a city that looks like a New York city, but it's nowhere near the size and it's nowhere near as unsafe. Um, and that's the little secret I'm talking about is this little area that I live in. It's one of the best, it, well, it's not a secret. The actual city in which I live in, I think was named by what was it? Time or life magazine. I want to say 15 or 16 years ago as one of the top 10 cities in the country to raise a family in, right here in Massachusetts. That's the city in which I was born and raised in extremely diverse. If you're looking for diversity, this is where it is, but it also has some incredible people and artists that have come out of here and that are still here. Okay. And that's kind of what I want to expose. I want to expose um, this incredible hotbed of music in this certain club that I grew up playing with. My, my very first show I ever played in a band was at, what, we were 16. And it was at this club. And this same club had Radiohead come through it. The Deftones come through it. Stone Temple Pilots come through it. Uh, Our Lady Peace. Just so many huge acts before they made it. And I'm talking, this is like a 250 standing no seats, just like a, the most underground club you could you could think of in New York City with the exposed pipes, you know, everything painted black, filled with cigarette smoke, sweat, and beer. And when there was like a band that played uh, back in the day, like the Deftones or Snapcase or Earth Crisis, if you're into the hardcore music scene, I'm telling you, if you were anywhere in that crowd, it doesn't matter where you were, you were getting stopped. 
because the entire crowd would turn into one giant mosh pit. The whole show. You have never, ever, ever seen anything like it in the music business. You know? Um, I remember working at the club in high school uh, when the bigger bands would come through and they would need to be driven into town or have their laundry done. I used to work at that club for that shit. I got to meet the guys from uh, Biohazard, Sepultura, Pantera, um, Propane, um, God, a lot of uh, Crowbar. I got to meet the guys in Crowbar. Um, uh, there was a, uh, what was the metal, a night, uh, there was a, a death metal band that came through, Black Singer. Fuck, Suffocation. I fucking drove the dude around, the singer from Suffocation around that day. So yeah, I mean, they would pull up, uh, like Biohazard, and literally they're, 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 they're big giant tour buses, right next to this little 250 standing room only club, and load right in the side door. Just, you know, and that's what I was exposed to, and, uh, it was just nuts. It was nuts how awesome music was in the 90s. It was nuts how many awesome, awesome musicians and bands were in this one little small area. It was nuts how all these huge acts came through here and played this little tiny club. I mean, when the Deftones were out with their, I think it was their second or third album. I, I think it was 97 or 98, Adrenalize. Right? Or like Adrenaline. Uh... You know, just as they were starting to blow up, they literally played that club. And, oh, my God, you you were going to get hurt. But it was okay. Everyone knew it. But the second they started playing, that entire club was just like somebody just threw everybody up in the air. And if you're into that kind of stuff in music, man, that's what this club was like, rocking every single night. It was the best-kept secret, I think, in the music industry. And uh, it was great that I got to play there in multiple bands over my career. I was right in that wheelhouse age where from 1990 to 1999 i was what 12 to no in 1990 i was 12 right so in 1999 i was uh 21 i can't count it's 9 plus 12 21 right yeah so i literally went from being 12 years old going to see you know my first bands ever at like 14 15 or like 13 years old there 14 years old there to now or to you know in the late 90s when i was actually playing there or the mid 90s when i was playing there in my first bands crazy I got to share the same stage and see some of the biggest acts around today in just such a small little club. And the stories in that club and the smells and the sights and the sounds is, I don't know if he'll ever be experienced again. It was almost like it was another CBGB just outside of a big city like New York. It was like another Viper Room. It was like another Whiskey A Go-Go, just not in L.A. It just happened to be, it just happened to be like 80 miles west of Los Angeles or whatnot. I apologize. I don't know how my phone rang when the phone was literally on mute. How is that possible? The phone is on mute and the actual volume is off and it just rang at full volume. <laughs> Fucking figures, right? Something had to ruin my podcast, right? All right, people. I didn't get to half of the shit I wanted to talk about, but I'm happy I did this. Um, and again, I apologize if I wasn't funny. I'm not going to fucking apologize. <laughs> you know? If you found me funny, great. If you found me fucking boring, turn off the fucking channel. But if you had the, if you had an interesting time listening to me rant about different shit, keep it up. Because I promise you, I'm going to get better at this. The audio quality is going to get better. The topics are going to get better. I got so much more stories, but I just realized I'm already an hour and 43 minutes into this topic. I got people calling me. I got to get on with life. But uh, thank you for tuning in. This is Johnny Drip.
This has been Views from the John podcast number four. Have a fucking great week. I'm going to try to record another cast ASAP. But, uh, yeah, fortunately, life has been keeping me busy with all good shit. Bad shit has been trying to intrude into my life. And that's another thing I wanted to talk about today that I didn't get to is the phenomenon of some of the best fucking people I know, right? Just getting the shaft their whole life. I want to talk about the phenomenon of that. You ever know anyone like that? Like, I know some of the best people I've ever met in my entire life have literally struggled the most. And that is something I will never get. They say God works in mysterious ways, right? He's got a plan for everything. But when I see some people in this world that are such dickheads succeed, and then other people in this world that have dealt with just death, destruction, cancer, just overcome so much fucking tragedies, and, like, they can never catch a break. It gets me raging, man. It gets me pissed off. It's like, where is the fucking justice, you know? There are so many people in this world that work so hard and fight so hard, and they just get the shit beat out of them, metaphorically and physically, just day after day. But they'll keep smiling. They'll keep putting food on their fucking table. And then there's other people out there that were born with a silver spoon in their ass that'll literally cry because daddy didn't buy them the right color Lamborghini, right? I, I'll leave you with that, all right? <laughs> I'll leave you with that. This is John. Have a fucking awesome day. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Um... Have a great week. The weekend will be here before you know it. I'm going to catch up with you later on in this week. Everybody take care of yourself. Remember to smile, laugh, have a sense of humor, and uh, just enjoy life. Life is way too fucking short. You could literally drop dead five minutes after you listen to this. And if you knew that, would you do anything differently? Would you hug your kid? Would you call your mom? Think about it. Life is finite. It could end this next second. So live it. Hug your kids. Relax. Turn off the nightly news talking about all sorts of shit. That's half of which is blown out of proportion. The other half isn't true. Okay? The world isn't nuts. It is what you think of it. We lie in the bed we make for ourselves, right? Okay? Life is what's reality to you. If you want to think the world's screwed up, it is. If you want to think the world has some great fucking people on it and it's just a, it's just a smoke screen, which it is, great. You're going to live longer. Relax. Relax. Take a deep breath. Fucking smile. Turn on a comedy instead of turning on the nightly news tonight. Laugh. Laugh. Okay? Laugh. Hug your kids. Tell your mom you love her. Alright? And fucking be good to each other. Go out of your way to do something nice for somebody too. And see how good you feel about that. And then maybe they'll do something nice for somebody else. And that'll just keep moving on. Okay? But keep trying. God sees everything. Alright? He's like Santa Claus, right? He sees everything. He knows when you've been bad or good. Believe me. You know, being a good person is doing the right thing when nobody's fucking looking, right? You ever find $20 on the ground and stick it in your pocket? Was that the right thing to do? Probably not. But I think we get judged on that shit when we die. I totally do. I absolutely believe it. I believe we're going to face judgment when we pass on. And if you were a prick in this life, then you're just going to have a miserable existence in the next one. I, I truly believe it. So be good to each other. Smile, relax, okay? Everything's going to be okay. It's a mindset. If you think life sucks and you want to be mopey and dopey, then that's what life is going to be. All right? Pull yourself up. Smile. Hug somebody. Give somebody a high five. Fucking laugh. Relax. Watch some football tonight. And everybody just have a good time. I will talk to you soon. This has been Views from the John Podcast number four. Love you. Later.
Just break the cycle